Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Thanks to Harvest Host for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Harvest Host provides a cost-free opportunity for small businesses and farms to increase revenue simply by inviting self-contained RV members to stay one night on their property. In return, members patronize or donate to the business. Well-established hosts are reporting on an average of 15000 in annual additional revenue. For more information on how you can become a host or a member, contact Harvest Hosts today at harvesthosts.com. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here, yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And my guests today are Darcy and Darby Zirkel, and they are were born and raised in Champlain County, Ohio, where they raise row crops and beef cattle on their family farm. Welcome to the podcast. Yes, hi there. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So share a little bit about, you know, I'm assuming you guys grew up on your farm? Yes. Yep. Uh, that's kind of all we've ever really known. Okay. All right. And share a little bit about like, what was it like growing up on a farm and kind of like, uh, what age did you actually start helping on the farm? Yeah. So, um, our dad and our uncle needed our help. I don't know when we were super young, um, moving hay bales. So, um, my sister and I, we would like you know, these bales were weighed more than we did. So we would be yeah. dragging these bales across the hay mound or whatever, doing whatever we could to help. Um, and especially running equipment. Um, I remember when I was super young, you know, running a skid loader. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, there's, we're just always short help on a farm. I think any farmer can re- understand or relate to that. So, um, yeah, I guess we've just, at a very young age, we've kind of adopted a, a very nice work ethic. Yeah. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, you know, fast forward a bit. What does like a day-to-day look like for you now? Are you full-time on the farm or? Um, so we're not full-time on the farm. We, I guess we'll put it this way. We, we work our day jobs and then we come home and then we work our, uh, we work on the farm. So I guess every day is different. For example, like during harvest and planting in summer, that's when we're most busy. Um, so for myself, uh, I deal with, uh, farmers, I deal with fertilizer. That's like my full-time job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can do a lot of that at home on the computer. Uh, so that gives me a lot of flexibility. I'm on the farm. I, I try and wake up early, get as much work done as I can, and then I'll go to the farm every day. So, um, and then, and then I, I'm a teacher, so I'm able to work when I get off, um, but obviously I'm free in the summertime. So in the summertime, I'm able to do and run a lot of the hay equipment and straw equipment um, because I'm free that time of year. Mm, okay. Talk to me a little bit about the scale of the farm. Uh, yeah. So we are about 1,500 acres in um, Champaign County. And then we have about 60 head of cattle. So then uh, 60 head of mama cows and then uh we'll fatten out we'll fatten out and sell about 40 of them as freezer beef to uh 
the locals. Yeah, gotcha. All right. And then um, how many acres of crops? About, about uh, 1,500. Yep. Okay. About 1,500 acres of crops. Um, so talk to us through a little bit about how you guys divide the labor on the farm. Is there a specific division? Does each person focus on different parts? Uh, yeah, we can say that. Um, I guess so my uncle, he, he kind of thrives with spraying. So he's always in the sprayer, kind of always mixing up chemicals, stuff like that. Uh, my dad, he's, he's normally, and, and obviously this all changes throughout the season, but my dad, um, during planting and harvest, he's mainly running the, um, the corn planter. And then he's over at the dryer during harvest, uh, making sure everything's running right and our dryer's not shut down. Uh, my brother, he, he just runs a little bit of equipment here and there. Um, and then he'll run a semi in the fall. And then myself, I'll run the bean planter in the spring. And then uh, my sister and I will kind of split up the grain cart driving in the fall. So gotcha. yeah, we, I don't know. We all, we all kind of have our roles. We all kind of know what we're doing. Sometimes we got to switch them up, but for the most part, that, that kind of stays pretty steady. Well, and she also takes more part of like picking out the seed and the fertilizer and she kind of helps with that aspect of the farm too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How much variation is there in that the, the the seed? I mean, there are always new varieties coming on. How are you picking based on you know um, the seasons? Yes. So so of course um, the seeds constantly changing. You know, if if we like a hybrid in three or four years, it's it's replaced, and mm. it could possibly be pretty tough to find. <clears throat> So I don't know if that kind of answers that question. Yeah. We, and it's nice. Like we, so obviously like we look at our data that we have on our farm and then um, I do a lot of phone calls to kind of see, you know, check out our neighbors, you know, what's working for you, what's not working, um, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now with the fertilizer, talk about last, I mean, this, this growing season, I know this growing season was not easy for a lot of farmers with the, the fertilizer prices. Wow. Yeah. So I guess, you know, for an example, last year for uh, our nitrogen, we paid $500 a ton Okay. and, or that was two years ago. And then last year we paid about $1,200. So it's, it's more than doubled. Um, it's, it's pretty stressful when you kind of look at your cost, but then also you do got to consider, you know, the markets are up. So that's nice. Uh, but the, the, yeah, fertilizer is crazy, but I guess it kind of makes you start thinking a little bit, like how can we be more efficient? Mm-hmm. And that is where the technology starts to come into play. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about technology. How have you guys implemented it on the farm? Yeah. So my, it took us a while for my dad and my uncle. Of course, they're a little bit old school. I'm sure any farming operation probably can understand this. Um, you know, you got your old school and you got your new school. Yeah. Uh, they, they are extremely old school. So it took them a while to adopt this new technology. Um, but like I had to constantly prove myself and prove like this is why this data is important. And slowly but surely, we've started to adopt more and more technology. Mm. Um, and, and I can get into that uh, if you want me to. There's just there's so many variables, so many different options with technology. 
but yeah, with, with the prices the way they are, um, and input costs the way they are, I think any farmer to me just needs to become more and more efficient. You know, if it, if it saves you a couple dollars, you know, that's in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, so yeah, I'd be more than happy to chat about the technology. I mean, like, are you guys, you know, doing like, um, uh, with the, the corn planting, are you like on like, uh, uh, satellite for that or, or how, what kind of level of, 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 of technology? Yeah. So yeah, we're definitely on satellite, right? So, uh, that's, that's just your auto steer. Yep. Um, and then, we we collect um, several years of harvest data. Okay. So once we collect that data, then we can start variable rating our seed prescriptions uh-huh. off of our harvest data. So your better soils, we can we can really push that ground, and then your tougher soils, we can start pulling back. So I guess in the long run, we're we're essentially at least for the soybean part, we're saving a lot of a lot of money on that. Yeah. 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 So then let's talk a little about, cause you have a little bit of a, a wider operation. You've got the crop production, you've got, you're raising your own cattle, but then you also, you guys have an on-farm butcher shop, right? Yes. Yes, we do. Okay. And was that always been happening? Is that something that you've been had for a while or is that newer? Yep. That's something I, I can't remember when, you know, we haven't butchered uh, livestock on this farm. Okay. And talk a little bit about how that fits in with what you do. Do you do any custom processing or is it all everything for what you guys have in-house? Uh, everything that we do is in-house. We do custom harvesting here and there. Okay. Um, like if uh, we've, we've had neighbors where, you know, they had, they might've had a beef that split out from them. Okay. You know, it's, a, it's urgent. We would hate to you know, throw this 1200 pound steer away. Can we bring it over? Okay. Yeah, that's, that's fine. That kind of stuff. Um, but it's, it's a lot of work. So we're slowly kind of starting to get away from it, but mm. it's nice to have, especially during the pandemic, we had a lot of people start to ask us because the butcher shops got really tied up over here. Um, yeah. we had a lot of people ask if they could use the butcher shop and, but there's also a little bit of a liability there. So we kind of try and stay clear from it so i guess for the most part we we mainly you know stay pretty close to home we we'll do some landlords that we farm for and then we'll just do a family gotcha gotcha um now is that is it a usda or are you a custom shop no it's it's not certified no okay all right. So then is that something where once a year that I forget how that works is that once a year they inspect it? Cause obviously then there's nobody on the kill floor. Has that how that works or? Uh, yeah. So at the local butcher shop. Um, so we actually take them to get them slaughtered okay. to our local butcher shop and then they'll quarter it and then we will bring them back and then we will finish processing it at our butcher shop at our barn. Gotcha. Yeah. And you've got a TikTok that shows kind of like the process of the quarters yeah. coming in and yeah. Running, running through the grinder, that sort of thing. Um, on that aspect, I did want to talk a little bit about social media. So I think you guys do, um, uh, you have your TikTok, which is, looks like you're getting some pretty good hits on that. Share a little bit about the process behind or thought behind starting that. Oh, um, so people have been coming up and saying, you guys have, you guys would be pretty good with TikTok. I mean, Mm. you guys have pretty good videos on Snapchat and um, you guys do a lot of cool stuff, especially since you guys are girls. So they told us and they've convinced us to make our own TikTok. 
Gotcha. So um, what has been the reception? Oh, actually, I think so far pretty good. Um, I mean, I guess we try, we try and stay kind of funny about it and have fun. So I don't, but also like probably raise like a little bit of awareness, especially with the whole butchering stuff. So uh, I, I think so far pretty positive and pretty good. It kind of also shows like, wow, girls can actually do this kind of stuff too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what would you say are some of the biggest challenges facing uh, family farms like yours right now? Um, so unfortunately, I, I feel like more and more like corporate America um, or a lot of these like huge mega farms are starting to um buy out some of these small farms. So I guess I look, I look in the future that more and more of these family farms are going to start. It's going to start getting smaller and smaller. Yeah. So the, do you mean the amount of farmers are going to be smaller and smaller uh, because yeah. they're just getting bought out? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what is that? Uh, I mean, so basically they're buying up the land, which is mean that you guys can't get enough land you need to, to make the margins. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you say uh, about, you know, I know there's a, a lot of push toward like no-till. Do you guys do no-till or what's the kind of process with your cropping? Oh, every farm, every farm and every farmer is different. Yeah. Um, we, so I guess, you know, I don't know, maybe 40, 50 years ago, like the answer to everybody's question was tillage. Yeah. You know, work you know work the ground work everything get the you start out clean you know the weeds won't be there well so we i guess yes we do tillage but we're starting to do a lot less mm. so what does that I look like a for lot equipment? less disturbing of the ground than what we've used to so more like uh strip tilling or just less passes through the field yes gotcha Gotcha. Are you doing any cover crops? Um, no, not yet. That might be something that we look for in the future. Uh, the, the cover crop thing, I think is still, it's still, it's still fairly new, but also just the price of the seed is, is pretty expensive. And the way mm. fuel prices are, I just, we can't seem to make it meet or Gotcha. Profitable. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, talk a little bit about the, um, like your, uh, like what, what does liming look like and what does soil, do you guys do soil tests? Yeah. So that's also, um, kind of more with the technology thing. So we, so we grid sample every two and a half acres. Okay. And then, um, so, so after they finish a field, they'll send in, uh, they'll send all that information. in. Then when we get it back, uh, it'll have a map. I think the GPS coordinates um, were in that would would have been like uh, recorded. Okay. So when we get this map back, um, instead of flat rating lime across every acre, we only will only put the lime where it needs to be. Gotcha. So once again, more efficiency, more efficiency, and a lot more savings. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Talk a little bit. I know you mentioned um, that you guys are, it's, it's the farm is currently in a little bit of a transition between the parents down to the next generation. Talk through kind of what, what that looks like. Oh, it's, it's definitely tough. 
um, just because you know that old that older generation, you know, they they worked very hard to where they are today. You know, they've seen a lot of tough times where we really quite haven't yet. So, mm. so I think they're definitely trying to be um, protective of us, but it's 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 hard for them to like finally like have them trust us and just let us take the reins. Mm. But I also think it's because. I mean, over the last couple or several years, like we've grown into like, I feel like a pretty big size operation. And I feel like my dad and my uncle have finally got it where they want it. And I mean, our equipment has gotten much bigger too. So now I feel like it's starting also to become a little harder for them because they finally have made it. Yeah. So they they finally made it and now it's time to pass to the next generation. So they're like, wait a minute, we wanted to have it for a few right. years to run it just like we wanted. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, is that something where you were having conversations about what transition looks like? You know, kind of how does, how do you guys approach that as a family? It's something that it's, it's, we're slowly starting to talk about it. Um, like this year, for an example, is the first year that they, they finally let me run the bean planner. Mm. Um, so they're, they're starting to give us, I guess they're starting to be a little bit more confident with us in, in our ability. Like every year they give us a little more responsibility. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, what areas do you feel like they're never give up? Well, I personally feel like running like the sprayer and running the combine, that's something that's, that's going to be hard for them both to give up. I mean, we've mentioned it like, Hey, like, let me, let me go out and spray or let me run the combine. And once it does take a lot of convincing if they even do let us run that equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know here we have a farm that does about 8,000 acres and there's only like three people in the company and it's a big company that are allowed to yeah. run the combine. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, they take, I mean, they take like fanatical care of those things. Like, you know, he was, uh, we were, we were unloading grain into a grain cart and he heard just a, the slightest, just vibration. He's like, Oh, I don't like that. So, you know, next pass, we came back, he, you know, opened the side up, was greasing everything, looking at stuff because again, the way they make sure that they don't break down is because every time something little happens, they're always looking at it. So mm-hmm. yeah. that's smart. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. we wait too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not good. Yeah. Um, and they're also at the scale where they're trading out those combines every two years. So, I mean, they're just, I know. Right. It's, uh, yeah. It's pretty, um, pretty crazy. Um, so talk us through a little bit as growing up, did you guys do any like um, FFA or, you know, any, uh, that sort of thing to kind of like 4-H? Yes. Yep. We did a lot of 4-H. Um, we started right at third grade, right when we were able to. And I think that's uh, kind of where, honestly, I think that's kind of where it all started because I mean, if we want, that's kind of where we also learned a lot of our responsibility. Like, like, you know, you have to go feed your calves before you eat dinner, or you need to go work your calves before you get to go out or do anything with your friends. Um, and our, our dad would remember when we, he couldn't take us, he couldn't get us out of the barn with her because we loved our calves so much. Yeah. So we did that until, yeah, we were seniors in high school. Um, our first year was in third grade. We took one, we took one year and then 
fourth grade, we started taking two steers and we took two steers up until senior year. Gotcha. And what, what kind of, what kind of skills or aspects, what benefits do you feel like you got from that program? Well, definitely responsibility. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, we weren't able to do anything, like I said, um, until our calves were fed or our calves were washed or bedded. Um, So that always kind of took first priority before um, anything else. And I mean, especially in the wintertime, like when it's cold out, you have to be out there working the calves. Um, And then in the summertime, especially when we got older, it got a little tougher because we were playing in sports. Um, and all our friends wanted to go do things, go to the movies. And we, I mean, we couldn't because we had, I mean, we had responsibilities we had to do. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, growing up as a teenager, did you ever feel that you were like, um, you were, you know, the other people had it better than you or kind of, how did that, what was that internal uh, thought process? Oh, I think sometimes. Um, but also I thought, you know, we're very, we're very lucky. We're very lucky to kind of have this life. You know, a lot of people don't have and possibly could never have. Yeah. I also, you know, just, it's, it's a very peaceful, very kind of relaxing life. Um, but you know, a lot of, I feel like a lot of the, the farmers that I've talked to, you know, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't want to raise their kids any other way. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's, uh, let's say the transition keeps going through. What kind of changes do you feel like that you would like to see the business making? Oh, my, so our dad and our uncle, they're, they're a little bit stubborn back to the whole like old old way of thought. Um, I think my sister and I were, you know, we, we want to be as efficient as possible. And I keep trying to uh, beat this in their head. Like we, we want to work smarter not harder and sometimes especially with the livestock a lot of the things that we do we're definitely working a little bit harder i think some of some of the things are a little unnecessary because they still kind of have that old school way of thought yeah yeah so there's you just it's you feel like you're just working more than you need to or doing things that just aren't necessary or not up to date as well as you could be Yep, absolutely. Well, and that kind of goes back to bailing. I mean, we do, we bail little bail, like little straw bales. And on 4th of July, that's usually something that we're always doing is bailing in 90 degree weather, doing yeah. about 2000 small squares um, when we could be round bailing. But again, I mean, working smarter, not harder, but we have yeah. the storage for the short, the small bales. So that's why we do so much. Gotcha. Maybe and someday we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. get away from that. What what what's the end uh, use for the small squares? Just for for bedding, um, a lot of it's easier to handle. Easier to handle. We don't yeah. need a skid loader to pick up the bale. I mean, we can just throw it down, throw it off the mound, feed them, or bed them. Yeah, but it is uh, it is hot hot sticky work. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes Darcy and I are like, oh, we need to take a break really quick. I don't know if we're going to make it. Yeah. 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 I do not, uh, not, not miss those days. Um, Yeah. And it's always, well, it's obviously the hottest, driest days you need the bail too. So. Right. Of course. um, Yeah. So then is that coming off of wheat or rye or. Yep. That's coming off of wheat. 
Okay. Um, and then is the, uh, is the wheat that you produce, does that go into for commodity or do you feed that to the animals? Nope, that goes into the commodity. Gotcha. Um, were the prices of wheat up this year significantly? They were. Okay. Uh, I guess I guess I take that. Um, I guess there was a, a fairly big drought out west. Yes. So um, yeah. So the wheat market was was very nice. Uh, the wheat market is starting to go go down a good amount, but it's still not too bad. There's there's still actually a good amount of wheat out over in this area. Yeah, I think it was uh, only 30%. I think that like Texas harvested and like uh, Oklahoma, I forget the exact numbers, but it was pretty substantial. And then obviously with the war in Europe, you have a substantial less coming out of Ukraine. So that yeah. obviously pushed the prices pretty substantially higher. So yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what would you say your favorite part about the farm is? Oh, I don't know that that we get to hang out with family every day. I guess that's a pro and a con, but our family, we're always having fun. Uh, we're always smiling, always goofing off. You know, there's always, try not to take too much too seriously. Like if something breaks down or something, I mean, yeah, it's pretty, it's a stressful time usually, but we always throw a few jokes in to kind of, you know, loosen everyone yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. Joining me is Sash from Harvest Hosts. Harvest Hosts connects over 225,000 self-contained RVers to small businesses such as farms just like yours. Sash, tell us a little bit about the many types of farms that are on the platform. Yeah, so we have the privilege to work with over 1,400 different small farms across the United States and Canada. We have all different types, including alpaca farms, bison farms, we've got produce farms, dairies and creameries. We've got flower farms. Uh, lavender farms are a big one for us. We even have wineries and different farm breweries. So it's really cool to see the different types of farms and what everyone's kind of dipping into, especially with agritourism. There's a lot to offer on farms these days, and our members are definitely interested in getting out there and experiencing something new. Absolutely. Now, one thing I think you noted was that even if farms are super rural, they will still get visitors. Yeah. So we've got farms that are sometimes 20, 20 minutes off the highway. Sometimes we've got farms who are very suburban and they're closer to a city and that's totally fine. Either way, we've got members who are willing to travel and they're ready to get out there and really craving that experience and a chance to learn. So they'll make the trek out 20 minutes off the highway or they'll make it into town, into the city, wherever you're at. Very cool. And tell us about a few of the different farms that are on the platform right now. Yeah, so we've got a, over 1,400, as I mentioned, so a lot of great farms out there, some unique ones who are offering things like cooking classes or events that you can partake in when you get to come spend the night. So one of our unique hosts that we have on the platform, we have Pogno Organics. They're a regenerative organic farm in Long Pond, Pennsylvania, who's woman-owned, and they offer all kinds of different produce. They have a cafe, they do tours, they do cooking classes all kinds of events. So our members really get a chance to go check it out and try something new. We've also got a lot of different animal farms who offer different adoption programs. So Red Granite Ranch, they're in Livermore, Colorado. They offer all kinds of tours and education sessions where you can come out and learn about their alpacas and uh, what it kind of means to be on the ranch and live and be a farmer for the day. Very cool. And some of the members actually will help on the farm too with chores, feeding animals, that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. They're super interested and willing to come and help out. They want to have that experience, get a little bit more time learning about what you do and what your day-to-day -day looks like. 
Awesome. Harvest Host connects over 225,000 self-contained RVers to a network of thousands of small businesses. Hosts simply offer RVers a one-night stay on their property, and in return, RVers patronize the business while spending the night. Visit www.harvesthosts.com forward slash hosts to learn more and become a host today. Talk a little bit about, I know like they the American farmer gets pretty demonized from, you know, industry, whether it's, you know, greenhouse gases or carbon or something. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I would completely agree. Um, It's frustrating on our end, I guess, especially with the livestock, you know, they, they point fingers, you know, thinking the farmers are absolutely awful, the livestock, everything like that, you know, we treat our livestock and any farmer that I know, you know, they treat their livestock like, like it's a pet, yeah. you know, they, they don't want to see anything hurt. You know, I, I had a friend put, this is a good example. I had a friend that had a thousand head of cattle. And when, um, when he had a calf, when he had a calf that went down and obviously like it wasn't, it wasn't going to get better. You yeah. know, he, he'd pull that calf out or put like, fences around it and feed them right then and there like you know and we call a vet to put them down like even things that are even animals at our house we can't put them down we would always have to call somebody else to put them down yeah yeah um and um so with that then do you think what causes that do you think it's just they don't understand do you think that there's certain outfits out to, you know, cause I think on one aspect you get the demonization, but then you see some of these plant-based foods where the only products they're actually using in these plant-based meats are soybeans, which obviously they need farmers to grow. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, one bad video might get released of, you know, one bad farmer and then like, they just kind of stereotype that we're all that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What are the the goals you see? Like, what do you see in five years for the farm? Um, well, we're definitely growing. Um, and I think we're all pretty excited about that. Um, we've grown our livestock by 50% oh, about five years ago. And I look to see that same number growing here in another five years. Um, same, same with... Same with our row crops. Uh, I look to see us constantly getting bigger and getting more efficient. Uh, we finally have the equipment where we want, um, where we're in a good place to grow. We finally got the equipment where we want it to be, where we are in a good place to grow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now you just think the solution is to kind of just scale, um, scale the operation with more acreage. Yep, absolutely. And I, and I was talking to my sister. I'm like, once, you know, once we get to X amount of acres, like I, let's just take it easy. You know, I, I want to enjoy life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I want to be able to travel and do a lot of, you know, things that some of these bigger farmers just don't have the opportunity to do. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, with the crops that you do now, have you ever looked at any of like the value adding, like doing anything like specialty with the cropping systems or? Uh, in terms of specialty, what do you mean? Well, I know some people are looking at, let's say, some of the more specialty grains or um, like maybe even popcorn and selling like a, a product that would be maybe more direct consumer. Sure. Uh, I'm not against it, but just in this particular area, there's just not a market for it. So, um, you know, it, 
if there was like we might have to travel like two or three hours to to deliver that product mm. yeah remind me exactly where in ohio you're again what's the town um urbana ohio so we are about an hour west of columbus gotcha okay so yeah the closest you would have bigger city you'd have would be um columbus and and those yeah, columbus of- or uh, a lot of the commodities get delivered to uh, the river in Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I'm not really sure. I, I really don't know. I don't, I just, yeah, I even like, you know, blue corn, like I think that would be super cool with, you know, with love yeah. to look into stuff like that. I just, like I said, I'm not sure if there's a market for that quite yet. Well, there was, so barley, barley's kind of starting to take off a little bit over here, um, but they only have one facility that can handle that product. And, um, right now I'm not sure. I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if we're ready for it yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now I, I know like with your, um, your beef operation, you are selling to the consumer. Is there a way to scale that or is that kind of where you want that? Uh, yeah, we would definitely like to grow, definitely like to grow in that. So it's, I, I think um, it's been nice, honestly. I, I think more and more people are, they, they want to know where their, their food's coming from. They want to know where their meat's coming from. You know, what we have at our family farm is start to finish operation. You know, mm. where those babies, you know, get dropped, where they get calved, that's, this is the same farm that they're heading, leaving off to go to the butcher. So, yeah. you know, we, we have a nice, clean, you know, end product. Yeah. Um, so where do you market your beef? Um, everything's local. Uh, we, we sell our beef so quick that we really can't even start advertising for it yet. I would, my sister and I, at some point, we would like to be where we can start advertising for this and, you know, start, start going online with this. Uh-huh. I, I went online, oh, I think once, uh, I think my dad needed two more beef sold or something like that. And I think within hours it was taken care of. And I, you know, took my post down. So at some point, well, especially just even in that Columbus market where it's just, you know, it's very limited um, with small farmers. We we haven't even gotten to that market. And I think if one day we can, or we do, you know, I I think our product will take off. Mm, mm -hmm. Now talk a little bit about how do you price your beef? Uh, we definitely sell it for a premium. Uh, that's, that's about the best I got. Um, we don't, we don't want to really sell it for a market price because we believe it's, it's a much better product than market price. You know, you can go to Walmart, you can go to Kroger and buy beef. You know, that's fine. That's great. But you don't know where that meat's coming from. Um, you don't know what's in that meat. You know, is it, is it all you know, completely like, is it all beef? You know, there's some horror stories where, you know, they, they might've thrown like soybean meal into something like that and made it look like, you know, there's, um, you know, with, with our product, we know it's, it's not like that, you know, people can come over and look to see, you know, what we're doing, uh, what kind of feed we're feeding and, and then ultimately seeing the end goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like when you say a premium, what, what to that is like the, like, are you, when people buy like a, a quarter or a half or something, do they buy like, um, is it by the pound or is it split up? How does that work for your pricing? 
Uh, yep, it's by the pound. Okay. So you just, uh, you have like a flat rate per pound of like hanging weight or something? Yep, hanging weight. Yeah, gotcha. Cool. What would you say to someone who's, you know, thinking about getting into farming or maybe thinking about continuing a family farm? What would you say to those people? Oh, I would say absolutely. It's going to be a lot of work. Um, and, and I think something, you know, kind of my, my dad and my uncle, they finally got to where they want to be because they never took from the farm. You know, you can't take from the farm until, you know, until you're big enough to where you want to be. And, you know, my uncle, my dad, they worked two or three jobs to, to grow this farm. And that's what they've said for the longest time. You never take from the farm one, one day. It'll, it'll pay for itself. So yeah. I think, I think that's kind of what, how I would lead that. Yeah. So how much of the land base do you guys have that you guys own versus rent? Um, majority of it we do own. Okay. Um, I'm I'm not really sure about what kind of numbers, but majority of it we do own. Um, so we are we are very lucky and very fortunate about that. Yeah. Now, has that been something where you keep acquiring acreage, or is it acreage that just was already in the family that you're just you're farming? Yeah. No. We're uh, we, so we've had it and always looking to acquire. I guess. Gotcha. So anytime land comes up, you just you, you that's the the farm purchases it. Yeah. Uh, Yes and no. <laughs> it, yeah. So uh, land prices are uh, through the roof right now. Um, our goal is, you know, if, if there's some land that goes up for sale, I guess any farmer's goal is to keep it off, keep it off the auction block. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you two coming on to the podcast and sharing your story. Um, is there anything you'd like to share before we go? Oh, I, I'm not entirely sure. I don't think so. <laughs> All right. Well, we really appreciate you guys coming on and sharing and uh, you guys have the, a, a great rest of your day. Awesome. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks to Harvest Host for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Harvest Host provides a cost-free opportunity for small businesses and farms to increase revenue simply by inviting self-contained RV members to stay one night on their property. In return, members patronize or donate to the business. Well-established hosts are reporting on an average of 15000 in annual additional revenue. For more information on how you can become a host or a member, contact Harvest Hosts today at harvesthosts.com. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.